And what was very difficult with cedars, as an example, is knowing what they can or can't do. So it was very ad hoc. It was like they felt like they were learning while we were learning, if that made sense. And so you were basically turning up, use any sports analogy in the world, whether it's soccer, rugby, cricket, I don't care. And we were on the pitch and this ball was flying around and you were trying to figure out the rules while you were like, while you were playing. Like someone tackles you and you're like, what? You know, and and then you're like, oh, okay, we're allowed to tackle now. You know, it was that sort of thing. So maybe it would be having a mentor who's done it already take you through the process i don't know uh, the offering <laughs> money they say money makes the world go around but they never quite tell you why today i'm joined by scott pickin the founder and ceo of wealth migrates an innovative fintech company that offers real estate investments on its online marketplace through crowdfunding join us as we cover the world of investments and the grand stage of finances how to navigate and overcome the obstacles that are essential in being successful in business and in life There is no way to predict the future, but there are ways you can stack the deck in your favor. And that starts by making better financial decisions. Because as Scott puts it, it's not knowledge that is power, but rather it is applied knowledge that is power. So without further ado, enter Scott Pickin. Hey guys, welcome back to another cracking installment of the Matt Brown Show today. I'm very pumped and thrilled to have with me none other than the founder and CEO of Wealth Migrate, Scott Pickin. Welcome to the show, dude. Awesome, Matt. It's quite an introduction. It's awesome to be here. Thank you very much. No, anytime, bud. So apart from like jumping uh, all over the world in Sydney and then in the US and the UK and just basically being a proper globe trotter, uh, what is the kind of headline backstory here? Why are you doing all of this? What's the what's the story around Wealth Migrate, the backstory? Sure. I could give you the short version. I'd give you the long version. The short version in simple terms is that I believe that everyone should have the opportunity to be able to invest in property. And to give you some startling statistics, only 49% of the world's wealth is held in property, and yet only 12.9% of the world's population actually has access to property. And so we sat back a while ago and we were like, well, those stats are ridiculous. And why can't we help the 99% invest like the top 1% using technology? And I could give you a whole long journey as to how we got there and what we did. But at a personal level as well, my father did what we were all taught to do. And everyone that's just cheered probably was taught the same thing as well. Go to school, go to university, get a good job, you know, invest, pay your taxes, you know, uh, you know, plan for retirement. And yet my dad was a financial director of a listed company here. And when he died at the age of 59, he died broke. And so at a very personal level, I decided that the system's completely broken and we need to, I need to do it at a different level and hopefully inspire others that there's another way. This uh, theme of financial independence comes up quite often, at least in my world, um, because it is something that very few actually attain. You know, it's, um, Q put out this post the other day. She runs all the social for us and she put out this post saying like, you can spend your entire life uh, climbing a ladder only to find that you climbed to the top of the wrong wall, you know, and it's is an interesting way to kind of really contextualize what you're saying, which is around, well, what do you do with your money? And well, you, you know, take my dad, his ladder fell over. <laughs> it well, wasn't even up against a wall. <laughs> yeah, someone just came along with some like chainsaw. <laughs> exactly. That, that's where it went. But look, I mean, my, my old man as well, you know, made a lot of money, lost a lot of money. 
you know it's 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 a funny thing and what you don't want to be is in that situation where you to your point you the ladder was taken out from underneath your feet right for whatever reason and life just happens to do this to us for some reason you know you lose i've lost businesses broke as fuck you know like just really really that sucks ass and obviously sold businesses as well so it's kind of like it's a lottery ticket in many respects um yeah look i think that the, the challenge is, is that the way you're speaking is more around life's events and stuff that happens. You know, so good things happen in business, you make some money, bad things happen, you lose some money, etc. What what I think is really challenging is that if you look at the stats, every single person out there is trying to work hard and make money and ultimately be financially independent, whether they'd like to admit it or not. And yet at the age of 65 in England, Australia, and America, less than 1% of people will retire wealthy at the age of 65. What does wealthy mean in well, your world? Well, so now this, this actually gets – so there's two different ways you can frame wealth, okay? So when one looks at purely money, okay, that's more around passive income and where your passive income – so you don't have to work and the money you get paid is more than your expenses. That, that's really – that's what financial independence is. I believe that wealth is much more than that. In fact, a lot of people say that wealth is actually what you have when you don't have any money. So it's about your relationships and who you are and, you know, as a person, your friends and your family and everything else. But coming back to that 1%, let's just keep it purely on money for now, not the broader context of wealth. I think that it's ridiculous that all of us, you know, across the world, and again, it's worse in the emerging world than in the first world, are aspiring to something and less than 1% of people are achieving it. There has to be something wrong. Well, what is wrong with it? Is it skills? Is it knowledge? Is it just chance? Do you believe in luck in this space? Uh, yeah, look, I think luck does have a, a part to play, but there's no ways that the stats could be so badly skewed if it was just down to luck. Um, I think it's two things, actually. I think it's our education system. I, I think our entire education system is flawed and that we're taught on how to be uh, workers, basically, 20th century workers. Um, the education system hasn't changed in 200 years. And the second thing is, is the financial industry, which is the second biggest industry in the world after oil, is, um, is basically set up to train people that they don't know what they're doing, so they must give their money to another third party, and that third party will go out and look after them in their long term and their retirements and everything, and the real truth is they, they rape them with fees, and no one ever retires wealthy. And that's why the stats are so stark. So I don't think it's down to luck, quite frankly. I think the entire system is engineered against mm. people. So the rich keep getting richer, basically. What about everyone else? Well, the rich keep getting richer not because of the system. The rich keep getting richer because they invest in better assets. But is that so? Is it so? There's two things for me. Is it is it purely access? It's like it, if you take historically, if you look at property investing, right? So when I lived in London for, I don't know, seven years or whatever, I started to get into that space. Obviously, the London housing market is yep. just huge. Um, and so it was all around, you know, education and then access. So if you could afford a one million pound down payment, fantastic. But in a boom market, the theory, well, the strategy was very simply this is borrow as much as you can. And then wait for that 
to you know hit your 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 ideal. I bought sort my of first return. London house on a credit card, but yeah. yeah. But do you see what I mean? But there you go. But it's because it's the me too and and the FOMO thing, you know. But it's but I mean, but that's the thing. It's it's about access to capital. So if I've got ten million, and you've only got a million quid, then I'm going to make ten times more money in the same market, right? So the rich keep the richer keep getting richer. That's the that's the working premise, right? What you're doing with wealth, wealth migrate, from my understanding at least, is kind of flipping that all around and giving the ordinary, I say the ordinary investor, so from even from a, as low as a thousand dollars, then ten thousand, hundred thousand, I think it goes upwards from there. But you're giving that type of investor who doesn't have like a hundred million to put down, right, access to some of the best property investments, so that in in the inevitability of property cycles moving up and then consequently down. In the boom markets, especially, you're looking at getting a return on that as low as a thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Let me give you a real life story, which I think will explain it a lot better than a contextual story. So, I was in London just like you. I lived there for nine years, and uh, at, a, at about the age of 25, I realised I'd be the world's worst employee, and so I resigned. And I set up a company called IPS International Property Solutions, and we basically help people invest into houses or apartments in England, Australia, America, and South Africa. And we helped about two and a half thousand people do that. Now, I have an undergrad degree, honors undergrad degree, a, a, a master's degree from London, and I did pretty well in both of them. And what was amazing to me was in 2009, I met two US dollar billionaires. I was in Bondi Beach, Sydney, and ironically, it was 10 years ago this year. And I said to them, what are you investing in? Now, we just had the global financial crisis, and everyone was running around, quite frankly, shit scared and didn't know what to do. And I said, what are you investing in? They said, medical buildings. Now, before I go any further, Matt, do you own a medical building no, or a piece of my, a hospital. I sold my portfolio. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this no, is, no, this is the point. Like, it's not even, it doesn't even come into your paradigm of like possibility. And so I sat there with these guys and I was like, well, why, why medical buildings? You know, again, take, take all my, you know, supposed education I'd received and I'd helped two and a half thousand people buy houses and apartments. And they said three things to me that just made perfect sense. I said, think about it. No matter what happens in the global economy, people will always need doctors. It's like, okay, that makes perfect sense. Secondly, doctors never leave their premises. Like, so I thought back to when I was a child and I was like, that's true. In my case, my doctors unfortunately passed away, but the premises in Kloof, you know, where I, where I grew up are still medical premises. And thirdly, doctors are bloody good at being doctors, but they're not accountants. So they sign very good, favorable, long-term leases. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is like a no-brainer. Like if you think of it from a property investment perspective, it's an absolute no-brainer. So I said, "Well, guys, that's that's great. I want to I want to participate." And they said, "No, it's it's great. There's eight slots. It's five million Australian dollars each. We're raising forty million dollars." And I was like, "Ah, there's the catch. There's the problem." And um, anyway, I didn't have five million Australian dollars. That company today is is on the Australian stock exchange. It's listed. It's worth seven hundred million dollars. They started with forty in less than ten years, and that's really what financial exclusion is all about. And where Wealth Migrate came in, we said, well, well, that's ridiculous. Why shouldn't we, through using technology, allow people to partner with people like that? And rather than investing $5 million, invest $1,000 or $10,000, etc. So to come back to your point, it allows people not only the access, but it also allows them to partner with people that have the skills in that sector. You know, because again, you and me try to go buy a hospital tomorrow. We're probably going to make a mistake. But if we're partnering with people that have been doing it for 10, 20, 30 years, it's going to make a significant difference. And the third thing that it does is that people are now not only included, but they learn while doing. So 
you know, I know I give my brother as an, my brother's an anesthetist, very intelligent guy, 40 years old. He's been putting his money away into these retirement plans, whatever, but he loves the fact that he can actually go and invest in actual deals. So again, not just a fund of funds, but actual deals and learn while doing. So like he starts to learn, well, what is a medical building? How does a medical building, you know, how is that different from a multifamily or an industrial building or whatever? And, and, and I believe that knowledge is, you know, a lot of people say knowledge is power. It's applied knowledge is power which is really important. And so it's quite a long story to, to contextualize what you were saying, but that's why I believe the rich get richer because they get given better knowledge and they get given better access. And now with technology, everyone can participate. What did you do with IPS? Did you sell that? Yes, yeah, so I actually sold IPS and um, into, into a group of companies. It's still operational to this day. So it's still helping people because there's still people that want to invest in London and England, Australia, et cetera. And I'm still very passionate about that space. Um, however, what I'm more passionate about now is actually helping people because once you've been in commercial property, you, 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 no billionaire has ever become a billionaire by investing in residential property. It's a middle-class investment. It's, that's a fact. Yeah. And, and anyone that has managed to get into commercial, and there's a thousand reasons why people haven't, but but anyone that has generally wants to then get out of residential. Um, and I personally, having been involved in, in commercial now over the last decade, you know, it's, it's really quite exciting, but, but, but again, you should be diversified. You know, you can have res- residential, you can have commercial, etc. cetera. Um, Tell me something. Can you give our, our audience a sense of scale? So how many investors do you have across any num- the number of countries, I think it's over 100 now, right? Yeah. yeah. So we've got members in 129 countries. Uh, there's only 193 on the planet, so it's a fairly good portion of the planet. What's quite exciting is we've only actually done marketing. And I mean, I'm talking in the haven of digital here. We've only actually done marketing in South Africa and China. So when you consider there's 127 other countries that have found us, it's quite exciting. We've done um, over $520 million worth of deals through the platform. And we've we've had about $85 million go through the platform actual physical cash through the platform. And we've paid out now nearly $9 million in dividends, wow, uh, income, income return. And then Because we, we need to talk about income. Because no, when it comes won't. to wealthy people, it's actually income that's more important than capital growth. But that's a separate conversation. Well, let's go there after this. But how do you guys make money? I mean, if I let's just say Maverick here wants to put $1,000 into your platform versus, say, myself, he wants to put $100,000 in. Like, how do you guys make money? Like, what is, what's the fee structure? What do we need to know? So the good news is the difference between you and Maverick, whether he puts in a 1000 and you put in a million, you still get charged the same thing. So there's not, it's not one of these things where there's higher fees for, for lower investment amounts. We are, our fee structure is actually very simple. We basically have modeled it on Airbnb. And um, why I say that is that I've uh, been using Airbnb for quite a long time. Um, both as a supply and on the demand side. What I loved about Airbnb is it was simple. Their fee is 3%. You know, if I rent out my room for $1,000, I basically get $970 in, as a supply person in my bank account. It's really clean, really simple. So our fee structure is never more than 3%. And, you know, in, when it comes to property and, and real estate and, and funds and private equity and REITs and real estate investment trusts, they love a very complicated language. They talk about waterfalls and carries and IRRs and, and quite frankly, stuff that no one has any idea what they're talking about. So we were in that space. 
And we decided that we were probably losing more clients because it was too complicated. Because if I talk about an 8% hurdle and we're going to have a 25% carry over an 8% hurdle, <laughs> the guy's like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> What's that? <laughs> exactly. Which means you've, lo- you've lost the person. you know. So now when we come back to Maverick, we say, listen, Maverick, at no point will we charge you more than 3%. And we, we take a, a small fee on the front end the middle during transactions and on the back end, and it ranges between 1% and 3%. So let's talk about why should I invest in property at all? I mean, I think it's an interesting one because I'm doing a whole bunch of research into equity crowdfunding, for instance. So if let's juxtapose those two options. So so I don't have you know a million quid or a million dollars to put away. I've just got something I want to play around. My play account, you know what I mean? The wife's yep. not going to like give me shit about dropping a thousand dollars or whatever. So I've got some options. Option number one is to look at property as a category of property investing. And then the other option is to look at technology startups. So for instance, you could go to Cedars, seedrs.com, yep. I think it is. Also UK, I believe. We just did a campaign on Cedars. We raised two and a half million dollars on Cedars, yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. See? So, and then, so it's the same thing. It's like, well, I can put a thousand dollars into a technology scale up sort of sort of opportunity obviously any investment goes at risk across both categories so my question very simply is why property why should i why what are some of the key things one should consider around property put my thousand dollars into a thousand into a property deal versus say a technology player well look i think i mean fundamentally i think they're completely different actually so you know if you invest in an uber or an amazon you're gonna you're gonna ten exit, hundred exit, thousand exit in terms of your return. So your thousand dollars can become a million dollars, you know, um, in a te- in a technology or in any startup for that matter. Necessarily, obviously, a technology is better. the The problem is is that statistically, ninety six percent of all startups fail over a five year period. So the odds are seriously against you. Um, you probably got more chance if you in, on Cedars if you invest in one of those brewing companies, and you know, and you're at least going to get beer as dividend as well, you know. Um, but my point being is that I think it's it's really it's really tricky to to pick a winner, you know, um, because when it comes to business, there are so many things you've got to take into account between the team, the idea, the market, regulation, you know, execution, and everything else. And and I mean, just just by the way, an idea is fantastic, but execution is everything. Anyone can have a good idea. It's, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Even if you look at Uber and Lyft, I mean, the one is materially bigger than I don't know how much you've been reading about the IPOs that have been going on at the moment, and they both have the same idea, but one just executed on it so much better than the other one, arguably. So that that for me is the one context, okay, and and that's a very different investment class. If you take property, by the same token, unless you live in Zimbabwe, um, you you're not necessarily going to just lose the property outright. Um, and yeah, it, it's not going to go away. It's not going to go to naught. Yeah. So property goes down by, you know, in America in 2008, 2009, it went down in some states by 40% in the residential market. So it could go down by 40%. It could go down by 50%. Um, the worst in South Africa has been a drop of sort of 20, 30%, which again, if you take statistically around the world, even the banks, they'll tend to lend at 70%, 80% cause they know that, Really, it takes a lot for it to drop below 20 or 30% off that value. And so your downside is is a lot more measured, but so is your upside. It's also not going to 10x. If you put $1,000 into this building that we're sitting in, you know, over 10 years, it's going to go up in value, but it's not going to 10x in five years some. I, I guarantee it's a long that. term. It's a long term value. So, you know, I, um, I had the privilege of writing a book, uh, Property Going Global, that was endorsed by Clem Sunter. 
And Clem Santa, I believe, summed it up one of the best ways I've ever heard, is that you should look at investing putting stuff in buckets. You know, so you've got one-third of your money in the stock market, one-third of it in property, and one-third of it in cash, as an example. I'm just giving you an example of buckets. I'm not saying it should be those. This is no financial advice. <laughs> There's no financial advice. I'm just trying to give you the example of the bucket bucket idea. And, again, I, I think that, you know, go on Cedars and invest in a tech startup and have fun and be part of that environment and learning and, you know, what that's all about and invest in property. Um, but but don't, don't do either or. I, you know, I think you can now do both. And where I think life gets really interesting is that with technology, this wouldn't have been a conversation we could have had 10 years ago. Because with $1,000, you couldn't do anything in property. I mean, you, you could buy a post box and that was it. You know what I mean? And you couldn't put $1,000 into a company either. You know, if you went up to Uber, you know, 10 years ago and said, I want to put $1,000 in, they would just laugh you out the door. So what I think is getting exciting now with technology is that the accessibility, I mean, easy equities is here, you know, you can get in the stock market in, in a very small amount of money. So what I think is really exciting for us, all of us nowadays, is we can put a small piece of money into different buckets. We can learn while doing, and we'll over time start to get a feel as to what we like doing as well. Because I'm a big believer in do what you enjoy doing. You know, I love property. My uncle loves the stock market. He's been very successful in the stock market, but he hates property. Um, you know, I've done fairly well in property. So, um, but I don't understand the stock market, you know, and, and so I think also tend to find stuff you enjoy doing. So if equity crowdfunding and startups is your game, great, you know. So why did you raise or do a raise on Cedars? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. So it's an interesting one for us. So, so we started the company and in 2014, we launched a concept called Wealth Partners. And um, I basically copied the concept from uh, Salesforce. I don't know if you know the company Salesforce. Yeah, Mark. Mark, yeah, Mark Benioff. Benioff. Uh, he's, he's got a Mate. great, great book called, um, uh, what's it called now? Oh, I'll remember it. Anyway. Someone Google Mark Benioff's <laughs> book. Yeah, it's a, it's a, anyway, it's a great book. I'd highly recommend. And um, he spoke about it back in '99. He went to all the venture capitalists and he said, "Hey, we need to raise capital." And they laughed him out the door. They said, "They're never going to." I don't know how much detail I need to go into, but CRM, customer relationship management, they're never going to allow that to go in the cloud. It's never going to happen. They'd never heard of SaaS. They invented SaaS. And so he said, "Well, let me go to our clients. Our clients believe in what we're doing." And they basically raised this, and they called them design partners at the time. And I love the concept. They got the cash. They got people like that had a vested interest in seeing them succeed. So that helped them build a better platform. And uh, and thirdly, when they did succeed, they all won together. And um, you know, and I've got a, a huge amount of admiration for 
the Salesforce story, not only on the profitability side, but also on the purpose side. And so in 2014, we launched our concept of wealth partners because we had the same thing. We had our clients coming to us and saying, listen, we like this building. We want to invest in this building, but how do we invest in the platform? And we're like, that's not an option. However, growing a tech platform is very expensive. Um, you know, your income doesn't keep up with your costs. And so we, it was getting a little bit expensive to capitalize the thing from, from a personal perspective. And, and then the third thing was I, I loved uh, there, Behind the Cloud. Behind the Cloud? Yeah, Behind the Cloud by Mark Benioff. I highly recommend that. It's one of my, one of my top books that I'd recommend reading. Yes, that's, oh, it came out in – oh, it was in October. Oh, is it 10 years old? Yeah, it's ages, ages ago, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, they love the story. It's awesome. It's a fantastic story. I highly recommend it. And, yep, so we launched our Wealth Partner concept in 2014. We had 140 Wealth Partners from around the world. We'd raised about $12 million. And that obviously helped us grow the company to where it is today. But most importantly, we've got this passionate community around the world that, that was really wanting to see us succeed. And so come along Cedars and equity crowdfunding and everything else. And we've been looking at a bunch of platforms from all over the world. But there was no one solution that could help us do it at a global level. And again, if you've got members in all these countries, there's no point in trying to have the South African solution or the English solution or the American solution. And Cedars a year ago couldn't help us. Cedars um, – 2018 said, no, we, we've now opened in 32 countries outside of Europe. So the whole of Europe and 32 other countries. We were like, fantastic. Let's give this a go. Let's take our wealth partner concept and just extrapolate it. So we ended up raising two and a half million dollars from, from 882 investors in 43 countries. That's um, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So now think about that. So now we've got 882 investors mm. in 43 different countries that all have a vested interest to help us succeed. Hmm. Um, so that's why we did it. And obviously the capital, you know, the capital's value, valuable mm. and to keep growing the company, but it's more about the community. I mean, community companies are the future. And so that's why we did it. Can you walk us through some of the, the pitfalls of equity crowdfunding specifically? So, I mean, I'm looking at that also because we're on an expansion path. So investment is, is a very attractive thing to be looking at, at least from, from our perspective. Um, and, um, you, you know, equity crowdfunding is kind of knocking the VCs down the totem pole somewhat, so at least eating their lunch. Um, and to your point, why wouldn't you have 800 stakeholders? Do you know what I mean? It's Not like, much. that's, that's fucking Versus awesome. one guy who sits on your board and basically tells yeah, you exactly. wrong all the time. Hey, you know, yeah, like. yeah, veto all your decision-making. <laughs> I wanted 20 times return of my money in exchange for that. So, do you know what I mean? So it's, it's a, it's a very interesting space. And then I spoke to a guy called Luke, forget his surname now, he runs um, something called Integrate Me. I don't know if you know, have you heard of them? They're in America, aren't they? Um, no. They, well, there's another brand in America, okay. but this, they basic, they're becoming a data company. So if you want to redo okay. your car disc licenses or whatever, you use their app and oh, it's okay. all done okay. for you, whatever. And you can store your South African ID, your ID book, your passports, all that kind of stuff. They're a data company, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And they've just worked, they've been literally now, he phoned me last week, um, but they're doing a raise now through Uprise Marketing and Joburg. I don't know if you know them. Yeah, tabs yeah. I know them. them very well. Yeah. So I mean, exactly, exactly. So I mean, so so what I and so it's literally so new, like league. It's not. It wasn't even legal twelve months ago, but now it is. And so Uprise Markets and I said to him, "Well, how much are you looking to raise?" And he was like, "No, about twenty, thirty million." And I was like, "Cool, no problem. They're going to run a sixty-day campaign." And then I said to him, "Well, what should I consider if I'm looking at?" different markets like the US or the UK for instance um, and so he was like well I wouldn't raise locally which is interesting and then I looked at like Equity Zen I looked at Cedars I looked at quite a few others what do we need to know about if let's just say and use me as an example right I'm a 
tech founder and I'm looking to scale, I've got product market fits and I need some capital, I'm not interested in VCs. What are some of the things I should be considering around where to raise money, what platforms, that sure. kind of stuff? I know it's a very big well, yeah. question, but just start. Just start. No, no, fair yeah. enough. So look, I think, um, I mean, we need a lot more than an hour, but let me, let me think through how to contextualize that as quickly as possible. Firstly, or, how, or even if you could share maybe your approach, like what yeah, did you no, do? No, in no, your perfect. Case? So the first thing I'd recommend is reading a book by Peter Diamante. It's called Bold and specifically reading chapter eight, which is how to run a crowdfunding campaign. <laughs> okay. And, what uh, about Tim Ferriss's blog post. He's also, he's got a good one, but, 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 but seriously, Peter, Peter Diamante dollars. is one of the, he, he started Singularity University and he's one of the biggest, uh, proponents of equity crowdfunding or crowdfunding in general and uh, and he's also got a fairly good track record in doing it himself chapter eight chapter literally chapter eight okay, i've recommended it so many times i even Buy know what book. chapter it is basically <laughs> and um so that's where i would start okay and, and i'll tell you why it's the best playbook i've found on how to run a campaign how to go out how to find your platform how to build your team how to build your community how to get your pr ready you know because it's not just about putting on a platform and hoping that people turn up it's not you know build it and they'll come it doesn't work like that there's a, there's a whole game plan the second thing you've got to do and, and coming back to the conversation your friend had is, is you've got to decide where do you want to play okay because if you go with cedars you can't raise from any south africans through the platform that that don't don't allow it okay if you go to uprise we consider going to uprise um i actually tried to get uprise and cedars to work together myself um, myself and a guy called Kevin Allen actually started the Crowdfunding Association, African Crowdfunding Association, in 2015. Who are you? <laughs> so, because I'm quite passionate about this space, and you know, dealing with our regulators here, you know, they haven't really embraced crowdfunding, and 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 you know, they they're still trying to get their heads around it, etc. And so, you know, when you, we, you, it's all good and well to go to Cedars, but then do you know anyone in those markets? Nah. Okay. Now it's really interesting. So. The way Cedars work is that you, you know, they tell you you need to raise 50% of your capital. As it worked out for us, 80% of our capital came from our own community and 20% came from their community. When you say your own community, do you mean from invest, your own from, from your own community that you've already got? But living in the UK, living anywhere in the world, but, except but, South Africa. Well, for us, we did, we did it. We we did it through. We still provided a mechanism for our community to be able to to oh. participate, but not through the Cedars platform. Oh, okay? I see. Okay. In a, basically, in an I'm offline with environment. I'm with you. Okay. Um, but I think what I'm trying to get at is that if you want to make, be successful at equity crowdfunding. You have to have a community. Now, you guys have one already, so that's fantastic, okay? You then need to say, okay, well, how am I going to make it easy for my community? Okay, because if you go on Cedars and 98% of people are here in South Africa and you have to do it all offline, then it's it's a lot more difficult. If you go to Uprise, that's great, but then they're only South African. Did, did you see the – this is the challenge, the, the – what's the word called? Quandary we've been in for so many years because every time we were boxed into one place. We finally went with Cedars. And the reason we went with Cedars was because they had the least the most broad-based approach out of everyone that we found out of England, America, Australia, Singapore. We, uh, we've, we're not, I, could rec- I could put you in contact with anyone you want to know in all the different ones. Um, in fact, in, uh, in South by Southwest, which is the big tech conference in, uh, in Austin every year, I was on a panel with the guys from um, Crowdcube, which was Cedars' competition. And and one of the one of the guys from um, from one of the big American platforms, and I was I started the conversation going, why are you guys not working together, so that if we do a crowdfunding campaign, we could actually you know have a joint solution. It still doesn't exist yet. Uh, you know, Cedars are your best option to to look at a, at a global a global solution. And then the third thing I would say to you is that, um, you know, quite frankly, I would just go and do it. Um, 
it's it's quite publicly you're putting yourself out there because you can publicly fail um but what you're going to learn is incredible uh, through that process and I, I believe you can only grow and so set the low ball it you know low ball your number what do you mean like well if you want to raise 20 million rand to use your friend's example aim for five hmm. okay because hmm. it's better to aim for five and get eight than to aim for 20 and get 16. <laughs> I hear you. Let's talk about learnings. I mean, what would you do differently about you know, your specific engagement with Cedars or maybe the campaign around your crowdfunding initiative? Sure, what would we do differently? Um, look, we're we literally just closing it out as we speak, so we haven't even had the time to sit back and go, you know, how could we do it? What could we do differently? Um, but if I think about it, the whole thing, you think it's going to, they will tell you it's going to take 60 to 90 days. We started in August last year and we're in April this year like and it's still in. closing out now. Okay. So again, if you read Peter Diamante's book, he'll tell you it takes six months at least. at least, okay, six to nine months. So the first thing I would recommend to everyone is it's no quick fix. Um, the second thing I would probably try and do is more planning around it and what was very difficult with cedars as an example is knowing what they can or can't do so it was very ad hoc it was like they felt like they were learning while we were learning if that made sense and so it's you were basically turning up use any sports analogy in the world whether it's soccer rugby cricket i don't care and we were on the pitch and this ball was flying around and you were trying to figure out the rules (laughs) while you were like while you were playing like someone tackles you and you're like what you know and and then you're like oh okay we're allowed to tackle now you know it was that sort of thing so Maybe it would be having a mentor who's done it already take you through the process. I don't know. Uh, what are you offering? <laughs> but, uh, I'm happy to help. I'm happy, you like? happy, happy to help you that. But uh, no, but look, I, I do think I do think if we'd if we'd had someone, and there's a guy I know called Sam Zutsky that had done it, and I did reach out to him a few times, and he did give me some pointers. Um, but there's so much knowledge from people that have already done it. Uh, that is not in books or magazines and, and the likes of Cedars don't even tell you how to do it. Chapter nine. Okay, <laughs> chapter nine. No, don't joke. <laughs> Look, I, 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 I still maintain that chapter eight is the, is the best playbook I've found. And so, and I mean, really read that in detail, make your notes. Cause that's what we did. We, we read that in detail with We then created a, a game plan from that. Um, yeah. And then, and do you get all your money out straight away or is it tranched? So that let's just say you you know you hit your two million yeah. raise, do you get that? Here's your here's your money. Cheers. So again, every platform's different. In Cedars' case, you close out and it only is all done at the end, and you get paid, mm. unless investors uh, invested directly into your bank account. And could you describe some of the differences between equity crowdfunding and just crowdfunding? So there's four different types of crowdfunding. You've and equity crowdfunding is the hardest. You've got donation crowdfunding, which is most people know, um, even funded by me or any of those type of things, where your mate wants to run a race or they, their mother's sick or something, and you can just donate. Then you've got rewards-based crowdfunding, which is where you people can invest in in well, they put money down and they get rewards. You know, so even the brewers—that's how the brewers did it to start off with. They actually raised money, and your return was beer; it wasn't dividends, basically. Um, the third one, what's the third one type? You've got rewards, donation. I've forgotten the third one. And the fourth one is equity. 
And uh, equity is the most complicated because that's actually where people are actually investing in your business and owning a piece of your business in terms of that process. That's a bloody big challenge though, right? Because even if I'm talking to like um, a highly astute decision maker at a big tech company like Microsoft or First Distribution or whatever, it's there's a big education job that goes along with well, what exactly does this company really do, and and is this a very is this the best alternative to put my thousand dollars into versus the other hundred that are listed on that platform? So marketing, I I imagine, is a big deal, and then also the education components on top of that, right? And especially in your case, I mean, you've got blockchain running, you're operating in different markets. It's like, well, you got these different property indices that are listed, and blah 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 blah. And so there's like you know in a B two B space. Uh, there's like apparently 17 different touch points that are required before someone actually says, cool, let's meet. Yeah. Yep. Let alone like actually transact with you. Um, so how did you approach that? I mean, any technology initiative such as yourself, like Wealth Migrate is complicated by nature. How did you approach the education job to get people to actually bank with you versus say other crowdfunding projects? Well, I think I'd, I'd, I'd answer, I'd answer the same question in two different ways. And, how I'd answer it is there's a fancy term called education-based marketing. And Can I'd, someone write that down? I I'd, I'd, never, never, <laughs> I'd never even heard of that. But, but the point being is that when I started our International Property Solutions, RPS, in 2004, I basically put an ad in the South African, which was a, a, a newspaper in London at the time. You probably read it when you were there. Which one was it? You had the SA Times and the South oh, African. Yes, yes, there were two yes, newspapers yeah. that all the expats read. And I basically said, right, I'm running a two-hour uh, workshop on how to invest in England and South Africa. 120 people turned up in Putney, and we sold 16 properties the next week. Next week. And that's how we started. So our entire business has always been education. How do we teach people? How can we, you know, so whether it's live events or webinars or, you know, digital journeys or anything. So that's the basis upon which we've come from, and that's how we've educated people. You know, just today I educated everyone listening on why they should invest in medical buildings. Now, whether they run out and invest in medical building or not, they're probably not going to. But I tell you what, there's going to be this irking little feeling in the back of their head going, shouldn't I be maybe thinking about one of those medical buildings? You know? And at some point, they should invest in medical building. But that's the point. Coming down to your question of, of an equity crowdfunding, it was the exact same story. You, you had to build a journey. You had to explain the big picture why. You know, Simon Sinek says it so well the golden circle start with the why why are you doing what you're doing what's the big picture purpose then you can worry about getting into the how and the what and we from our perspective we built that through a digital journey we had multiple webinars and we just tried to communicate we you know it's all the typical crowdfunding stuff you build videos and everything else um and yeah i, I, I don't know if we succeeded as in you know I, I believe what we're trying to achieve thousands more people could have participated and i wish we'd reach more people is the is the honest truth um so it's it's really just trying to get the message out there and standing up above the uh the, the, the clutter. Or, yeah the clutter yeah. yeah exactly can we talk blockchain as a technology for a second yep so there's two schools of thought one you can't put anything non-financial onto the blockchain obviously then there's the other school which says well blockchain is only built for financials um so What's your view? I mean, you've got transactions sitting on the blockchain. Where's your head at? And, you know, in terms of wealth, what's Wealth Migrate's point of view on blockchain technology and how are you going to be, maybe not, but how are you planning? And if, and if so, like with regards to blockchain technology adoption, like how do you see that evolving or scaling up or ramping up adoption for investments? So can I answer that again? I want to answer that in two different ways. So the first one is blockchain full stop. 
and where are we at with blockchain and what what impact it's going to have i see blockchain very similar to the internet for uh, the internet okay so you go back to 1995 and you had the dot com boom you had the dot com bust but today companies like amazon uber you know airbnb are materially changing the way we live i mean everything we do on our cell phones and everything else um and yet when i catch an uber i don't say to someone you know i caught an uber on the internet it doesn't work like that you know i don't i don't say i go went shopping on amazon on the internet do you see where I'm going with this? So when, when you had the dot-com boom bust, the, the bust, you know, everyone said that dot-com is broken, the internet's broken, it's never going to work. And the problem was the business models were wrong. And great companies like Alibaba, Amazon, Salesforce, and, and many others, you know, not only uh, survived, but actually thrived. I believe blockchain is going to be a very similar pattern, okay? There was a lot of hype around it. We've had the ICO hype. We've had the ICO crash. We've had the Bitcoin hype, the Bitcoin crash. And um, I believe probably... 10 years from now, pretty much everything that you do will be on the blockchain. And, but you won't go around and say, oh, I bought a house on the blockchain. You will buy it on the blockchain, but just like you buy something on Amazon on the internet, you don't say – it'll just be the underlying core technology that, that's enabling it to take place. And for us at, at, at Wild Migrate, when I understood blockchain, I don't know exactly when it was, 2013, 2014, it really opened my eyes because we've got two major challenges. Our first challenge is trust. So when I said to you, you know, we were, we were introduced by, by a mutual friend. But if I said to you, you know, Matt, put $10,000 into a medical building in Atlanta. What's the first thing that goes through your head? Can I trust the investment, right? Yeah, exactly. Who, who am I? Can you trust the platform? Does, it, does the building even exist? You know, et cetera. And what, is, what does blockchain actually solve? Trust. You know, you've got e-commerce and you've got social media. And they're coming together. They're forming social commerce. And social commerce is underpinned by a foundation of blockchain. It is, the, it is the foundation. Blockchain is the foundation which will allow social commerce to take place. Do you buy Facebook becoming a, ba- a, a bank? Did you see that stink the other day? Yeah, I've seen – look, I've seen quite, quite – I've seen quite – can I come – there's a second Sorry, point. Yeah, I, yeah. The second point I want to mention to that, just I will come back to Facebook. So the, so the first thing for us was we have to get our platform onto blockchain – because ultimately that can solve our trust issue. Because Matt Brown can go online and he can actually say, well, hang on, I do want to invest $1,000 or $100 or $10,000 or a million dollars, doesn't matter. But when I own it, I know I own it. It's there, I can see it, it's on the blockchain, it's transparent for all the, all the good things about blockchain. The second thing is our aim, our passion is to get investing down to a dollar per person per investment. Okay, now there's three and a half billion people on this planet that live on less than two and a half dollars a day. And if you can get it down to a dollar, you truly can empower the entire 99% to be able to invest like the top 1%. People always say to me, if I invest a dollar, it's not going to change their life. It won't. It'll change their habits. But if you change their habits, you'll change their financial destiny. And I truly believe we can solve the wealth gap in our lifetime by, by doing this. But doing it with the current business model and the current fiat systems, it won't work. If someone putting a dollar in, there's too many friction costs, it just won't work. Whereas if you could have a cryptocurrency like a Bitcoin, which was backed by property that everyone understands, I believe that you could reduce the friction costs and allow participation at a global level. And blockchain will be the catalyst to enable that to happen. So that's the big picture of, of why we believe in where this is going. But it, but it's it's a long-term game, not a short-term game. Mm. You have to get the blockchain to scale itself, though, to get to that point. If you're going to have three and just a billion people transacting. Yeah, so I think, well, this is where I think there's, there's been big moves and it's happened already in this last couple of months around security tokens. Now, remember, blockchain is the core. It's, it's like 
currency is to US dollar. You've got the US dollar and you've got, you know, you've got currency. And for me, blockchain is more like currency and the different tokens or coins or whatever are on Bitcoin, whatever are on top of that currency. So yes, I agree with you that blockchain has to scale. Yes, I think there needs to be much better understanding and adoption. And um, do I think it's going to happen overnight? No, I don't. Um, but I do think it's going to happen in the next decade. And I, and I do believe more and more as the millennials come through and my son who's seven, you know, quite frankly, watching him play around on an iPhone is fascinating to me. You know, <laughs> no one has to show him how to do it. You know, that generation, they, they are not take property. They are not going to go to an estate agent who deals with 16 different middlemen between you buying your house or selling your house. That's going to take three months with, a whole, with about 10% worth of costs to buy or sell a house. They're just not going to do it. They'll just be like, this is ridiculous. I can buy a book online. Why can I not buy or sell my house online? In a matter of minutes. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I've said before in the show, like, my son will never have a bank account. Yeah. You why? You just have an app. Poof. To your point, I was just, I got this nagging question in my head and I was like, do, you, will they, do they need to trust the technology or do they need to trust the proposition of property? Yeah, so I think, I, I think that, um, and again, this is just my own personal opinion. I can't prove this yet. I think that all over the world, people understand the value of property. You know, whether you're a goat herder in Africa or a rice farmer in China, a rickshaw driver in India, you understand the value of property. Whether you own property or not is a separate conversation. But everyone knows that saying, you know, he who owns the land is king and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I believe that if we can build a technology layer that is backed by an asset, everyone understands that there'll be intrinsic, uh, you know, want, if that makes sense. They're already using their mobile phones. And now they can get access to an asset they understand. It's much easier to understand than the stock market or even cryptocurrencies or, you know, different, different things that are a lot, a lot more difficult for people to understand. However, saying that over the next 10 years, 20 years, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how that adoption will work because everyone wants access to land. You just have to ask Julius Malema. But the question is giving people land is not necessarily as valuable as them actually learning how to invest in it. Facebook as a bank. I don't trust him with my data, so why the fuck would I trust him with my money? What's your view? Sure, Facebook. So you know what's interesting? From a business perspective, and I'm sitting here and you guys, this is an area where you should be lecturing me, not the other way around. But I am noticing a material decline in interaction on Facebook. Full stop. Okay. And that's just me in, in, in business. None of my friends are on Facebook. Like we don't use it in any way to socialize or anything along those lines. And, and the younger generation aren't using it all. So coming back to Facebook as a bank, you know, I think they've got a, a massive um, platform around the world. I think they've got a very uh, solid brand that people understand. And I do believe that more and more people are starting to trust the Amazons, the Facebooks, the et cetera, more than the bank down the road, quite frankly. So I believe there probably is an angle in that, in that space. Um, but when it comes to platforms in general, I, I don't know. I just find everyone's, there's too much noise at the moment and people are really battling to find out how to engage. Um, now, when that comes to their money, you know, there's a great story that I heard at one of the uh, crypto conferences that I was at last year sometime where, um, you know, the problem with crypto is that if you suddenly lose your bloody key or something, there's no bank to go into and say, listen, you know, dude, I've forgotten my password. Can I just have my coins back? Like it's gone. You know, try and explain that to my mother. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So, you know, I think, I think what often happens with, with people like yourself, myself, and, and probably everyone listening to the show 
is that we like to play at the front. Like we play, you know, they always say the, there's the bleeding edge and the cutting edge, and we're probably somewhere stuck between all of them. But the mass adoption doesn't take place until it's easy. And there's a beautiful metaphor of, um, of the internet, and it was only when the Netscape user browser came out that the people actually really started to adopt it at scale because before that you had to be a programmer. And I think when it comes to Facebook and banking, it's probably going to be one of two things. <clears throat> if it's really easy, then I think people might actually use it, particularly the unbanked around the world. There's 2 billion or 3 billion unbanked people. And if you've got no bank, like, well, why not? If it's really easy to participate. And, and if that's the case, they're going to have a you know a market cap that will be tremendous because again you know if you want a bank account and no one's giving you a bank account then they're solving a problem that you don't even have access to to start off with mm-hmm. for you and me if we're trying to weigh it up against our traditional bank we're going to be like well we've got all this hassle and it's expensive but can we trust it and so we might test it a little bit i don't know I th- I don't know. I th- my view is that I think I agree with you. I think people would. I'd invest in Amazon as a bank before Facebook as a bank, but that's well, a separate conversation. But, but this is my point, right? If if you had to, I mean, let's do it by a show of hands, okay, with our live studio audience. Um, would you? How many of you would prefer to invest in Facebook or bank with Facebook versus, say, any of the big five banks here? Hands up. So none of you would bank with Facebook. Seriously, I'm shocked by that. Yeah, I must admit, I'm quite shocked by that. Seriously, especially considering the age, uh, the age of the room. Basically. Just put your hands up. Are you sure they're working today? <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable. Yeah. It just shows you how wrong we are. No, well, and again, I come back to money is an interesting thing, eh? money and trust. You know, it's uh, people are like, oh, it'll be wonderful and we're going to change the world. And I think that's what a lot of the ICOs have found out that uh, it's not quite so easy to get people to part with their money. You know, so hang on, why though? Why? Why wouldn't you bank with Facebook? So I give Chris a mic here. Oh, he's going there. What? What's the reasoning for that? Um, I think it's a big social like uh, perception, right? It's like um, we we associate Facebook with like a social media kind of thing, right? And that's that's great for communicating with my friends, sharing a message. But as soon as you start talking about money and trust, Facebook is not the first thing I think about. Hmm. I just think it's within within the realm of uh, what they do. Like, so I think of F and B. And I think, okay, cool. Well, they, they work with money. That's their business. You know what I mean? I would trust them more because that's their business. Hmm. If I went to F&B and I was like, cool, um, I really want to do a social media campaign, that wouldn't really be my vibe. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. Well then, in that <laughs> bombshell. Uh, let's play the Injustice League. Um, so what is one injustice that you see in the world that you feel really needs to be you know taken down by the knees yeah look i think i've <clears throat> i've probably already answered this you know for me i believe that what we're getting taught in terms of financial education and uh the you know financial industry in, in general is um is despicable quite frankly and uh i think guys like tony robbins have tried to come out i don't know if you've seen his books you know the last two books money revealed and um those books i mean it's unbelievable i mean 96 percent of of funds don't even beat the 10-year average, the market average. Mm. And yet they charge you all these fees and everything else. And um, I, I believe there's a massive injustice out there that, you know, for some reason, and then all the regulators, like, tell you to go with, with you know, all these financial products. And uh, and yet they're, they're, they're statistically failing all over the place. And when they fail, no one does anything about them, but they keep stopping, you know, innovation in the space. Um, so, you know, for me, when it, whether it's around financial, financial education or financial inclusion, 
you know, I, uh, I, I find it horrendous. I really do. And there's a, there's a great series that's just come out right now. I'd recommend people go and Google it called Money Revealed. Um, Robert Kiyosaki and a whole bunch of other people are, are part of that. And literally they've deep dived into people actually understanding how this really works. And I can't understand why in school we're not taught about money. It doesn't make any sense. The one thing that's going to be material to every single person and you don't learn anything about money, but should you learn about history and languages and geography? I mean, you know how the weather works, but you don't know how money works. It makes no sense to me. You know? We're going to come back to that point. So uh, Maverick's got you a nice little uh, something here, a nice little gift from us uh, here at Soul Digital Kung Fu. And then uh, you can just drop your mic and then pick up one of these here bats. And then uh, as you think about financial education or incorrect financial education, how that sucks for the most ordinary people, you can just have a go at this thing. Just, uh, yeah, yeah, just let rip. Just, I, might, I might break the table. No, no, just go. Oh, yes. <laughs> he hates that. Look at Sanal's face. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, see, she shattered herself. Shame. <laughs> Speaking of uh, financial education, you've just launched the university, haven't you? Yeah. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, so again, you know, most people, when they, when they think about money, it's, it's this big scary thing. And, and basically, the, the industry has taught us, you don't know what to do, so run away from it, you know, go and see a financial planner. They know everything, they'll help you out. And I think it's complete bullshit, quite frankly. Like, I think every one of us knows what's good for us. When I used the medical example, was there one person in the room here that that didn't make sense to? Like, it's just, it's common sense. Like, money is often common sense, you know, and, um, but yet, you know, people don't use their common sense. Common sense is not that common. And so for us, when it came to the Wealth University, we wanted to empower people to give them the knowledge and the belief, and then they can decide what they want to do with their money. And so we, we've, you know, not only with myself, but with many other very qualified people around the world. And, and again, not someone who's a PhD lecturer, someone who's actually done it. Really important. If you want to be successful, go copy successful people. And so people can participate. There's free courses. There's a whole bunch. Of, I, I, for, quite frankly, nowadays, I, you know, the excuse that you don't have access to stuff is, is in my, it's, it's rubbish. Because, you know, we've got micro degrees. People can go and do it all there for free. And, um, and then there's also paid for courses that people can go and do and get access to, get access to communities so that they can learn and grow. We've got um, what we call the inner circle. So, you know, if you didn't get to go to Harvard or Stanford, you know, tough. It doesn't matter anymore. You can join a global inner circle and, and be part of great And this people. is on where do you it's go all on the Wealth University. So, wealthuniversity.org. Oh, wow. So yeah. it's actually off wealthmigrate.com, yeah. right? So you got, so wealthmigrate.com. I, I tend to, the metaphor I give you is that it's like a hot air balloon. The wealth university is like the hot air and it's driving and people can grow and learn. And wealth migrate is like the basket. You know, not everyone's going to, people are going to get knowledge and learn and not everyone's going to invest through wealth migrate. They might go and invest in other platforms. It's fine. I've got no problem with that. Um, so wealthuniversity.org is the learning and wealthmigrate.com is where people can take action if they want to take action. So there's no catch. Basically. So you can do the university gratis. 100%, 100% yeah. Okay, so you don't no, have to. No, no. To be honest, we just want to provide you with a solution. You know, so… I love that. It's a eco I love the fact that that… I mean, I, I've just seen this so so often in like super successful companies and just entrepreneurs in general is where they… Even we do this or we're doing this now uh, where you have to drive the ecosystem. It's like it's not all for profit. Do you know what I mean? Oh, 100%. Well, I mean… 
that we've actually got four parts to our ecosystems. So I've only told you about two of them. Oh, excuse us. Okay. Yeah. Fucking <laughs> like three and four. Yeah, come, let's go. No, What's no, number no, three? But, but it's important because you talk about <laughs> ecosystems. It's, it's really important to, to, to take into account. The, the third part is the wealth movement, which for us is, is the big picture purpose. We want to empower a billion people. And, um, and where that comes from, if you remember, I said to you 12.9% of the world's population has access to property. That's roughly a billion people. We basically said, well, why can't in our generation, why can't we double that? And um, so the wealth movement, and there's three legs to it. It's, it's empowering children with entrepreneurship education. It's empowering women with access to financial inclusion. We've got a whole thing called Women and Wealth. And then actually allowing everyone access to wealth you know, through technology. And that's our big picture why. That's our big, our big picture purpose. And then we haven't, we haven't built it yet, um, but one day we're going to launch Wealth Create, which is ultimately where we'll let people with $1 be able to invest. Um, but that, that's a, that's a do- couple of years down the line. I'm going to put you on the spot. I was going to say, when, when is that likely? If you were just to, you know, ideal roadmap, when is that likely to happen? Whether, you know, I own $3 a day and I can put $1 mm. into a property investment. So look, if you'd asked me five years ago, I would have told you it would have happened already by 2020. Um, <laughs> so I'm a bit scared to guess nowadays, <laughs> but, uh, I'll tell you why. It's not a technology problem. The technology exists. What's much more difficult is a regulatory problem. You know, so there's a whole bunch of regulatory hoops that we've got to try and jump through to comply. And to jump through those hoops all cost money. And like a simple thing like KYC, okay, like generally these, even these online integrated KYC things have a fixed fee per KYC. So if you're investing $100 and the fixed fee is $1, okay, that's maybe makes sense. But if it's, if you're investing $1 and the fixed fee is $1, like it's quite hard to show your return. Do you see what I mean? So, so these are the friction costs that we haven't been able to figure out how to get our head around. Uh, we will solve it. And again, I, I think blockchain and crypto will actually be the way that it goes ultimately. Um, but I'd like to say in the next five years. <laughs> we shall see. Technology is moving fast. You need to move faster. When the technology sector is flooded by competing messages, you need to get your story in front of the right people on relevant channels and shorten the time it takes for them to understand the value of what you do. We understand the frustration of not having customers understand the value of switching to your technology solutions and working with agencies that don't understand your business and the world of technology that you play in. We are different. Instead of big bang agency campaigns that are expensive, slow, and don't break through the clutter of competitor noise, it is time for a new spin on marketing for technology businesses. You need to get to market in days, not months. Seven days. That's all it takes to get our tech clients from initial engagement to generating new business. You need a lightning strike campaign from Digital Kung Fu. We combine storytelling, branded content, and an agile marketing approach to help you maximize your market share, generate new leads, and close more business in less time, and at a fraction of the cost of a traditional agency. We're trusted by international brands like Microsoft, First Distribution, Forward Lane New York, Cradle Technologies, Granite Warehouse Management Solutions. With a lightning strike from Digital Kung Fu, you finally have a quick, effective, an affordable way to break through the clutter of competitor campaigns, retain existing customers, and acquire new ones. Digital Kung Fu. It's time to tell your story. Cool. Just a couple more things. So, quote of the day. Take us through this one. I don't know where I first uh, was told that by Zig Ziglar. You know, you can have anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. And you can see my handwriting. I was not meant to be a school teacher. Much better than mine. But... uh, 
but you know, for me, it's a, it's a beautiful saying, and I'll repeat it just so that people can hear it. You, you can have anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. Now, to come back to your comment from five minutes ago, you said a lot of people are driving ecosystems and entrepreneurs are giving stuff away for free and everything else. Well, it it's all ties into this. Because if you're helping people, I mean, why are you doing the show? You're helping people. You're adding value to their lives. And by doing that, you are benefiting. You know. And what I, what I love about where we are in the 21st century is that Mother Teresa had to go and live in complete poverty in India and you know, help people and you know, whatever and, and, and basically give up all her worldwide wealth and everything. And, and what I think is so beautiful nowadays is you can help people and you can create value at the same time in terms of that big picture. So for us, that, that's, you know, that's the basis upon the Zig Ziglar thing. And you know, we, we talk about wanting to empower a billion people. Uh, we'd like to believe we're a very purposeful company, but we're also a proper, profitable company. We're, a, you know, we're, we, I believe in capitalism, and uh, I believe if we empower a billion people, you know, we'll we'll build a valuable company, and so it's it's a win win situation. And uh, and just to be clear, you know, because because we're not trying to be Mother Teresa, you know. No, why would you? And and by and the way, should you? She's taken. <laughs> But also, you know, by the way, if you are a profitable company, you can actually do a lot more. Take Salesforce as a good example. You know, um, you know, I think even some of the other ones, Google and them, they've all done, you know, wonderful things for the world. And, um, but you need to have capital and resources to be able to do that, you know, so. Scott, let's wrap this up. Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, I suppose for me, it's, it's the, it goes back to, you know, you spoke about those London days. You know, I, I just realized like so many people want to participate in property and just don't have access, don't have knowledge. And, um, you know, through IPS, I realized there was a massive gap in the market. The majority of people didn't have enough money even for the deposit. If they did have enough money for a deposit, they often wanted to get into commercial and couldn't get into commercial. And then finally, there's actually a whole sector of people that have a lot of money and don't even know how to do it anyway which country to invest in. There's a hell of a lot of people living in South Africa, China, whatever, that want to invest in America and got no idea or England don't know how to do it. So what gets us out of bed in the morning is the ability to empower people, to inspire them, and to basically help them achieve their own freedom. And what I believe when it comes to money is that I don't really care what you want to do with your money. I don't care whether you want to send your kid to a different school, go live in a different country, give money to the church. It doesn't bother me. What I care wholeheartedly about is you having the freedom to make those decisions. And so what gets me out of bed in the morning is to inspire people to to take control of their lives and and to set themselves up to invest in good stuff so that they can have the freedom later in their life. And um, yeah, Scott Picking, everybody. Cheers. This edition of the Map Round Show is brought to you by NetworkSpace.co.za. In fact, our studios are here in building number four at NetworkSpace up in Johannesburg. These guys have made us a huge deal, have really bent over backwards to give us the kind of service that most exciting businesses deserve. If you want more information about NetworkSpace, you can actually come and check out our studio. We are always open to meet new entrepreneurs and business owners from around the country, and you can do that right here at networkspace.coza. Hey guys, so if you'd like access to our back catalog of podcasts, you can do that right now at mattbrownshow.com. And you can also get access to the Amazon Prime content live on the mattbrownshow.com. 
Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com. 